podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the Inside Try Show with Helen Murray. This is the podcast that takes a deeper look at the sport with in-depth interviews and special episodes to keep you entertained and inspired while you're training. All right, and we're off. Let's go. Hello and welcome to episode 108 of the Inside Try Show, sponsored by Resilient Nutrition, who make incredible long-range fuel nut butters. I'm Helen Murray, and each week on the Inside Try Show, I bring you awesome interviews from triathlon and beyond. So how are you doing, like me? Are you living on a a bit of a, a COVID Christmas knife edge at the moment? Fun times, right? Eek. So hopefully this week's interview will be a real feel good kind of an interview to finish the year with a little bit of a smile. And speaking of finishing the year and Christmas, this is going to be the last episode of the year as I'm going to take a little festive break. So the next episode will be out on Wednesday. I think it's January the 5th. And a bit like coming back into training after a break. Again, I will properly get back into the swing of things from then on. And today is actually my first day back training wise after two weeks off following the Sea to Summit Ultra. That was kind of like my off season break. So two weeks. And for me, I I, I was quite proud of myself, actually. I'm not always the best at switching off, but I didn't run. Um, I really I, I did not run until I did park run on Saturday for 5k your way, but it was a very, very steady. So today was like the first proper kind of training plan run. And also in those two weeks, I did bits of yoga and I did some proper, I was going to call it stick stomping, which sounds a bit random, Nordic walking with actually with my poles. And I went in the woods and I even had a, a sweat band around my head. So I looked a total, total state. And being North Wales, Nordic walking hasn't exactly hit this area yet. So um, yeah, it's quite a quite a unique look. <laughs> but I love it. Nordic walking is brilliant. I am telling you, Nordic walking is it's the way forward. It is the way forward. Clearly, I love running, I love cycling, and I like swimming. But when it's off season, Nordic walking is pretty good. So yeah, anyway, I was back on it this morning. I did a, a resistance band workout and I did a, like I say, a really steady half an hour run. So basically, it's onwards and upwards for me from here. And I'm actually just really looking forward to building up the consistency, building up to some long weekends out in the hills as we prepare for the Noidart adventure at the end of April. Last week on the podcast, we heard Dr. Greg Potter talking about banking sleep in preparation for not much sleep during the event itself. But Rich was actually really keen to find out if Resilient Nutrition's Chief Science Officer had any tips for actually being able to fall asleep quickly. Now again, of course, this is useful information if you're going to be doing a three-day multi-stage ultra in the Scottish Highlands. However, it also makes complete sense for anyone trying to get to sleep the night before an event. And if you are a bit of a caffeine or a caffeine, that's a cross between a coffee and caffeine. So yeah, if you're a bit of a coffee fiend, then listen up. Yes, you can definitely train yourself to fall asleep faster. And of course, your sleep habits in the build up to the race matter as well. So I mentioned sleep banking before, but some of the basics of sleep hygiene that we touched on on the first podcast that we recorded, Helen, are certainly still relevant here. But when you're sleeping in a tent during these types of multi-day races, I think there are a few things to consider. And so one is just the, the sleep environment itself. And if you can consider things like changes in the temperature and whether those are likely to disrupt your sleep, then you can plan for them. So let's say that at night, the temperatures get down to something like eight degrees Celsius. That is suboptimal for most people's sleep. And that's cold enough that it's going to wake a lot of people up. So ensuring that you have some warm clothing in an appropriate sleeping bag, et cetera, can help ensure that you sleep well at that time it's really obvious but it's really important another environmental factor that's going to influence your sleep is your exposure to light 
And if your tent is an area in which it's surrounded by other tents too, and there are lots of people milling around, maybe using torches at night, then you might be exposed to quite a lot of light. And there's huge variation between people and how sensitive they are to light. But regardless of that, if you have, say, an eye mask handy for when you're sleeping in your tent, then that's going to help you block out that light and prevent it from disturbing your sleep if it otherwise would have done. You might also be disrupted by noises in the environment. And maybe the most pragmatic option here is to use some simple way of, of negating that noise. So silicon earplugs, for example, can be really helpful. You might not find those comfortable. There are alternatives. So again, the onus is just on trying your different strategies in advance of the race to maximize the likelihood that they're going to work in that context. And then outside of those immediate factors that affect your sleep, I think there are a few different things. So one is when you eat relative to your sleep. I think in the case of multi-stage ultras, you can probably actually eat quite far into the day and relatively close to your sleep because a lot of people are so tired after spending the last couple of days running that they'll fall asleep very quickly regardless. But I don't think you should be eating anything in the hour or so before you plan to go to sleep. And we don't need to go into the details as to why, but there are various different processes that take place while you're digesting, metabolizing food that could potentially disrupt your sleep. And the composition of what you consume, especially at the end of the day, does also matter. So I mentioned caffeine previously. Caffeine can, of course, affect your sleep. And during ultramarathons, having regular small doses of caffeine, so maybe one to two milligrams of caffeine per kilogram of body weight every hour or two is a really good way to go if you're trying to maximize your performance but you don't want to consume any caffeine too late in the day so in this particular instance i certainly wouldn't consume any any later than about six hours before you go to sleep but i would say that that's probably the absolute cutoff and stopping earlier than that is probably best that is Dr. Greg Potter, who's co-founder and chief science officer at Resilient Nutrition. He's got a PhD on the relationship between sleep, what we eat and metabolic health. And he really, really does know his stuff. Remember, you can get 10% off Resilient Nutrition's long range fuel pouches and jars of nut butter with the code InsideTry10 over at ResilientNutrition.com. Time for this week's interview. Just before we get to this week's interview, just a word on last week's interview with Daniel Bakergar and Mickey Tohalt. A big thank you to Mark Whittlefit. Mark, thanks very much because Mark said it was a brilliant episode. And um, yeah, I think he heard what I heard from the guys as well, which was just awesome openness and honesty about mental health and things like that so if you haven't heard it do go back and listen they they properly warm up and I thoroughly thoroughly enjoy chatting to the two of them so anyway this week I I wanted to end the year on a bright note with a really badass and inspiring woman called Nirjala Tamraka so I actually met Nirjala's husband Dan at the Castle Triathlon series in September. He was in charge of the photography and we got talking really, surprise, surprise. And he was telling me about his wife and I was like, she sounds like an amazing woman. She sounds like she's got a really good story to tell. I think I need to get her on the podcast. So Nirjala is from Nepal and from 2001 to 2012, she was known as the Mountain Queen because she was the first female Nepalese mountain biking champion. She was also the first Nepalese woman to take part in a UCI mountain bike World Cup race when she travelled to France. She's done the world's highest endurance event, which is the Yak Attack, and she's also done some epic rides in the Himalaya as well. She's now in her early 40s. She is a mum of two. She moved to the UK with Dan only a year 
ago, at the end of 2020, in the middle of lockdown with COVID. And earlier this year, she became the first Nepalese woman to complete an iron distance triathlon when she did the UK ultimate triathlon in Whitchurch. Nirjala Tamraka, welcome to the Inside Tri Show. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you, Helen, for inviting me. I am so excited to talk to you because I think you do have an amazing story to share and hopefully um, we can share it with loads of people, inspire some people and maybe get a few more people on mountain bikes as well, Nirjala. <laughs> what do you reckon? Yes, many people have got inspired by a female mountain biker in Nepal and now in Nepal mountain biking is very very popular uh, not much for racing but definitely for like uh, fun riding recreational riding it is very popular now and the terrain geography is perfect for mountain biking no it's really flat it's it's really bad <laughs> <laughs> you mean the opposite <laughs> yes <laughs> so Nirjala, what was it like growing up because you're from Kathmandu aren't you so what was it like growing up in Kathmandu? It was very very boring I was like a bookworm and in my school I was very active but there wasn't any activity to do except sitting in the chair uh, doing art competition or science exhibition not much physical activity there were only something to do sitting in the chair like essay competitions and I used to take part in those but we didn't have physical activity and our school was very popular for uh, scoring highest marks in the school living certificate SLC so I didn't get to do too much of physical activity. Did you go to an all-girls school or were there boys at your school as well? It was mixed. Okay and so did the boys get to do physical activity? No, there was nothing for anybody, only study, study. Yeah, so all about the the education and, and the learning and getting the good marks to then hopefully go and get a good job and get well paid, et cetera, et cetera. So how did you, when did you first do a little bit of physical activity? Right after leaving my school, right after giving my SSC exam, I started joining yoga classes early in the morning and it was very good. And I was given the name Rubber Maya. Maya is a girl. I was flexible. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then um, I, I became more energetic. And I had few friends then, since then. And I used to go cycling with them right after yoga classes. And one of my yoga group friends told me there was going to be a cycle race. I had never heard of cycle race happening in Nepal that time. It was 2001. And I said, let's go and take part. I was very excited. And uh, I took part in it and I became champion. I mean, Nepali champion. And was that the Himalaya mountain bike race series? Was it, was it this race that you're talking about? Yes, that is it. Uh, it was um, organized by foreigner. I forgot which nationality he is. Uh, his name is Stuart. And he organized a very international level mountain bike race in Nepal. The race was captured with a helicopter and there were loads of foreign participants as well. And uh, there, it was a series. Like every Saturday, there used to be a mountain bike race in different part of the valley. I got to participate in three all three series because I'm Nepali. I did not need longer visa. So I was there and I could participate in all three. And I became the winner. female. <laughs> And what was, I mean, did you have a, did you have a mountain bike? Were you able to afford to buy one or did you have to borrow one initially? I had to like lend from the Tamil for $10 per day like that, that time. Yeah, I didn't have, and I had a cycle of my own, but it was not suitable for the race, like with suspension and uh, with proper gear. I didn't have those. I had very normal commuting cycle without gear and suspension. Were there many other females taking part or was it mainly males? And what kind of reception did you get? Oh, 
um, there were not many females. There were strong foreign females, not many Nepali females. There were, no, not, it, it was not that there weren't any. And then there were loads of other uh, male participants. And um, the prize ceremony was grand. It was, it happened in Radisson Hotel, Lazimpat in Kathmandu. And that's what motivated me, how I felt after winning my first trophy in mountain biking. Uh, all the photographers were taking my picture. Uh, and then I came in newspaper next day and I felt like I am somebody. And that's what uh, motivated me. That's what I like the feeling that I wasn't looking, I was looking for my identity. I was looking for what can I do in my life? Everybody are studying, everybody are looking for nice jobs. And then I got to do this and I became the winner and I thought I can find lots of potential in this field. It was a new field for female there. So I gave continuity from there. What was the response from maybe your family or some of your female friends who weren't necessarily into mm -hmm. sport or into mountain biking? Yes, the response from my friends who are not in mountain biking, their response was like, why are you doing this? <laughs> like, my my like in-laws says that you are crazy. Why to go in the muddy road? Why to always get dusty and always ride this far? What do you get from it? You look like insane to me. There is no logic in it. They would question me like this. Uh, so they were into only what normal uh, stereotype people would do. I mean, normal things would do. And I was like following my passion. Uh, I wanted to do something big if possible. So I had this kind of vision with me. I didn't want it to do normal work in office, uh, boring office work. So I had this type of feeling for me. I wanted to become something big, not normal. I wanted to leave my legacy, something like that. So back in the 2000s, you know, you're on the mountain bike and you're surrounded by the most incredible scenery in the world where where's your head at what are your thoughts oh at the beginning yes the 2000s at the beginning I used to feel amazing I used to feel amazing and I used to keep talking about how beautiful Nepal is that uh, that time it was not that popular like it is now and I used to keep giving I used to keep telling people that 99.9% of Nepalese don't know how beautiful is Nepal if and it can be accessible in 10 minutes of ride from your house. You can be at once in the foot of the hill and you can go where motorbikes will not take you, where uh, cars will not take you and you will be on top of the hill uh, and you can get the view, amazing view. And um, yes, this, this is the most amazing feeling Every time you get to see different, different views from different, different road, it's there is not just one road. I am always going to meet from new road. I mean, you, you're finding new trail all the time. So it is very nice. <laughs> and did you have other Nepalese females to ride with or were you riding with a lot of international people working in Kathmandu? When I started, um, there were not many and my cousin was there and she could not keep up with me so we could not go cycling with her so I was getting more stronger and stronger and I wanted to go with stronger people uh, chase them so I was I wanted to chase boys all the time <laughs> <laughs> and were you did you drop the boys could they keep up with you well according to this um, national game record I was always top 10 in boys female top and in the inside top 10 in boys as well wow wow and do, what do you think Nigella is it do you think it's your genetics do you think it was your mental strength do you think talent do you think just really really hard working a mixture of everything I good question I I have the the reason could be I was worried about my future from my childhood and I always wanted to become somebody and uh, my mother used to work 
all the time in her tailor. She had a tailor. So she was busy in her tailor and I was given the responsibility to do the work in house. And then I was gaining muscles by doing housework. We had to do everything by hand. We didn't have, we had to carry water from, from the basement to the kitchen on the top. And we had to beat the carpet to clean the carpet. And then uh, we had a mud house, house made up of red mud. So we had to clean the floor with a cow dung. <laughs> okay. So those work were really hard work and they were all my work from my childhood till uh, I started cycling. So all these works and washing clothes, everything with your hand. And these were all my works. So I was stronger. Wow. And, <laughs> and so did you have quite a poor childhood or was your family quite quite well off because obviously you went to quite a good school which was focused on education you could you could have a bike as well uh bike I bought it later the bike uh, yes with my cycle race money uh, I was riding my brother's bike uh, my childhood I wouldn't say very amazing I wouldn't say it because it was uh the parents were focused not focused on children our society that time they were don't listen they don't have got understanding of how child feels that was not that type of society like here in UK they don't uh, think about child's mental health or something like that or listen to what child is saying or listen or think about what child might need I was raised to be frank different way like uh, girls should be doing housework men should not be doing housework that's how I was raised it must have been when you discovered the mountain biking it must mm-hmm. have just opened up a whole new world for you oh yes it, it was a different thing as I kept continuing in mountain biking uh, and I got to do different things and those different things became that I was the first person to do in Nepal many things and that that will be always remembered uh, that I was Nirzala Tamrakar was the first person to do this, 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 this thing in mountain biking. <laughs> so that is definitely um, something worthwhile. Because it was 12 years, wasn't it, that you had at the top of, of mountain biking. It's quite a, that's an impressive stint. Yes, it, uh, for 12 years I was national champion. And at the peak of my fitness level, I stopped. Uh, and then again later on, I d- did it. <laughs> again later after six and a half years I participated in mountain biking in Nepal in 2019 and I became third again there were many girls this time and I thought I'll be overlapped I'll be out of the route I was so scared right before the race I was thinking oh why are they making us wait so long let them start quickly I know I'm going to be out I am not going to complete it I was so scared because the route was so technical, so technical. And suddenly when I raced, everything came back. <laughs> I was in a like do or die mode and something suddenly clicked. And I was starting to overtake people. I was falling in the technical section. Still, I was overtaking and I came third. And um, I couldn't be happier. <laughs> That's amazing. And because in that gap, you had had two children, right? I had two children and after children, I didn't do mountain biking, but I was doing running, a lot of running because um, mountain biking, you had to go far from the house and I didn't want it to go far from the house. I had small one in the house all the time. So I wanted to be back in the house whenever uh, my small one needed me. So I was running nearby my house in a park and my running was also getting very good. I got personal best in my running after my two children. Wow. Do you think that's because you were doing more mountain biking before you had your children? So less running before? Uh, No, I used to run before as well. Uh, But definitely there is a muscle memory with us. And because I was a very professional athlete before becoming mom, those, uh, um, those memories of the muscles were there and I could do hard work. And after becoming mom, you get certain more capacity in your lungs and heart. I read it somewhere so uh, that might have also helped and I was very serious as well I used to um, run whenever possible because they were not possible I, it was not possible for me to get out of the house with two children so whenever possible I used to go out and run 
and with a little proper training plan this time and then it helped a lot it helped a lot Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. And again, is is it becoming um, more accepted and more normal for mums in Nepal to to do that kind of thing, to to go out, to do sport, to be active? Oh, I think it is. It is. I think it uh, surprisingly, uh, the twelve year when I was champion, that time people were always asking me, "You are going to quit? You're going to get married, right? You're going to quit?" No, you're going to quit, right? How long you're going to write? You have to give chance to others, right? Like those sorts of questions were always coming to me. And when I came back and then came in a podium, that time nobody spoke anything. Uh, all those old people, nobody spoke anything and they were uh, welcoming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when, right, when you were doing all of your mountain biking, could you make a living from that or were you working for the am I right in thinking the police as well or were you having to work and mountain bike were you mixing the two how did you do that I haven't done living on my own like in Nepal we don't uh, live separately from our parents <laughs> uh, after certain age so uh, but I always wanted to see my level as an athlete and wanted to participate in international races so I used to like make my own profile and then go to look for sponsors and the little the the sponsored money would be enough for me to fly out to the countries and participate in the races and that was enough and then uh, with my athlete I could do that much and I used to win money as well and I could I used to spend all on maintaining the cycle buying new equipment for cycles equipment and things Mm -hmm. yeah and and so when you were, for example, at the UCI World Cup final, okay, probably the only female athlete from Nepal, what was it like? Oh, the feeling was mixed. To qualify to the World Cup, I had to participate in few other Asian mountain bike championships along with becoming mountain bike champion of Nepal. And after qualifying after gaining certain points I got qualified and apart I went to France like 30 women were there and they were the best of the best in the world my ranking was like 2000 plus in the world and they were the top ranking females and their preparation was huge like they had the big uh, uh, van of like uh, every equipment with them like muscle doctor and then mechanics everybody coach manager everybody and I went there with my husband I definitely felt that small that I, I I felt that how can I do anything here I felt like that and my husband suggested do your best whatever result comes like uh, be proud of yourself you, you've reached here that is big thing uh, so that's that's all I could think. Would people come up to you and and say like, "What? Well, where are you from? What are you doing here?" Yes, one amazing lady. Um, she she came up to me and uh, said, "You're from Nepal." And then there were few um, spectators. They they also said, "I've been to Nepal and I'll be cheering for you." There were very nice people who came to talk to me. Yeah, <laughs> wow. it's it's amazing, and it must you must feel so proud to have been the first Nepalese woman to even be there and to have got there and to have qualified and and just shown what is possible what is possible that's what I'm talking about what is possible because I didn't have any support network in Nepal like my association people were uh, like um, not supportive of the female athlete that time and they were uh, not doing anything so this was all by of normal person like me uh, dreaming that big 
and not knowing whether will whether i will reach or not but kept continuing uh, to pursue my dream and uh, with the help of my husband he was supporting very much and then we managed to do reach there for a normal female uh, we managed to reach there uh, it was not nepali government who sent me there it was us who got qualified and reached there so it is possible to reach as a normal person <laughs> so it's a if you dream high uh, and then if you dare to dream uh, you can succeed that is one of the example here yeah. <laughs> and and what do you think you have done for other nepalese females uh, because i have put the uh, like my footprints like this they can see it's possible and then uh, it is possible for them to pursue the dream as well but practically i have um, like uh, raised some um, cycling equipments from uae when we used to live in uae we had friends and then we call we asked them to uh, collect some of the uh, cycling gears which is very expensive for nepali riders to buy afford themselves so we have asked them to send us some uh, cycling gears and we have done it uh, like few times and shared it uh, in the nepali cycling community it's amazing it is amazing and then i want to know how does someone who grows up in kathmandu end up well first of all end up in the united kingdom in a place in a county called lancashire <laughs> oh we just moved here less than a two month ago and then we moved to uk uh, less than a year ago my husband is british and he loved nepal we met in nepal we met while mountain biking uh, well when i was cycling down the steep hill my husband was cycling up and we spoke briefly and exchanged email he used to work in uae that time and i was uh, like a hardcore mountain biker that time i was training for 10 days race in india so we exchanged our email and then he used to come a few months gap to visit nepal he, he always ha- always had his flat in nepal so he used to come to nepal and visit so whenever he used to come in nepal he used to meet me so this is how i met my husband he, came, he also followed me in one of the highest mountain bike race of nepal uh, 5000 16 meter high altitude race was that it was 10 days race he joined as a medic and um, i participated in it uh, i uh, it was a 10 days race you had to carry 5 hours a day some days uh, and the highest pass was 5416 meter thorongla pass and then i became the first female nepali to do this uh, route was that the ride from lhasa in tibet to everest bike or was this the yak attack this is the yak attack okay so the yak attack is this yeah the highest uh, like the highest race endurance race in the world or something like that so nijal can you explain to us people who don't live at such a high altitude what is it like what 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 what's it like for your body cycling at, at such a height um personally first time easy. I it is very different it is very different it is different person by person if you are a very fit athlete it doesn't mean that you will be fit up high there you could be having altitude sickness though you are a fit fitness person in the low altitude so there can be different types of symptoms like headache lack of appetite lack of sleep all sorts of symptoms will come and then you will also lose your a uh, mind like uh, you will be stubborn you will be more angry all sorts of things can happen in the high altitude and if you do not um, decide what to do at the right time it could be life threatening and i have seen with my own eyes that some person when i was passing on pass in uh, while doing lhasa kathmandu ride while doing this on the top of the pass one person just uh, was enjoying the view and suddenly he collapsed so there could there will be so less oxygen that uh, you you can collapse so you cannot stay in the high passes for too long because there is very less oxygen there you quickly have to go down uh, 
I had similar um, symptoms when I was doing first one, uh, first yard attack. I suffered loads, everything. Like I was having menstruation, I was losing appetite, and it was so cold that even you're inside the room, uh, the snow would come in. There was no heating system. In the bathroom, there would be a bucket to clean your your thing, and that bucket would be frozen ice on the top. Such route we did. And then I could not keep up with the cold. Uh, and um, when we were passing this uh, Thorangla, the snowstorm hit us. So the snow was it was like a headwind, like opposite direction of where we are walking. So all these things will come. And uh, next year, I prepared myself very much. I carried like a 2,000 meter mount, uh, height mountain um, oh, hill with a cycle on my back. I carried my cycle on my back and um, like uh, every few days we used to carry cycle on top of the hill, ride it down. And again, Swembu Monkey Temple is there, which is very long stairs. And at the end of our training, we would always carry bike on through those stairs and then cycle down like four times every day. This is how I trained for second yak attack and then uh, second yak attack. It wasn't too difficult for me. That, that's, that is mad, right? And yeah. during that first yak attack race, when the the bucket that you were using to clean yourself was frozen and you know you had the the snowstorm in your face. Yeah, yeah. Surely you had moments of going, I want to quit. I just want to quit. This is horrible. The quitting is you go back alone to Kathmandu yourself. Nobody is going to give you a company. <laughs> so that that is also very bad. I want to be with everybody, the organizer, all the participants. Uh, after race, you will have a good meal. That's what you. That's where you want to go. Not alone back to Kathmandu. <laughs> so basically there was no no option. It was just crack on with this one, Nigella. Keep on going. Yeah. When you have no option than being strong, that, that that's what you have to do. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow, wow, wow. And then you decide that you want to become the first Nepalese female to do a full distance triathlon. So the equivalent of, a, of, a, of an Ironman distance. Had you done much swimming when you decided that you wanted to do that? Oh, this is a very, very interesting thing. And I'm so proud of myself. So I was good mountain biker and good runner, but uh, I was afraid of open water swimming, totally afraid of open water swimming. And um, in Nepal, we don't have a Ironman distance triathlon. We don't have any event yet organized till now, not even half Ironman distance triathlon. We only had got Olympic distance or uh, um, like super sprint or sprint distance. And there was no opportunity in Nepal. Luckily, we came to UK 2020 December. Um, and then this was like a big fantasy. I don't know if I can do this or no, because it's a big thing. Like 3.8 kilometers swimming, 180 kilometers cycling and full marathon after that. I have done cycling that distance, yes but not all of them all together. So I had no idea whether I could do this or not. And I wanted to, it was a big fantasy. And I also didn't know whether I'll be first person or not, but I had heard that I will be first person. So that was a big motivating factor for me that if I do this, I will be the first Nepali female to do Ironman distance triathlon and it will be another legacy for me. So I wanted to do it. And right after coming here, we registered for a race. And I didn't know one thing, that is the temperature of the water. In Nepal, I never had to face the, that cold temperature of water like here. <laughs> what, what temperature was it in Nepal? It never goes below uh, two digit. When we were swimming in December, it was uh, 16. But here, you cannot put your head inside the cold water or face inside the cold water in the, in the single digit. I swam in the lake when I tried to see how it feels and it, it was not possible. So I went through anxiety, Helen, but when I was preparing for a triathlon, the anxiety was how will I finish 
this long distance swimming in this cold water and the last year the winter was like six months long and it was so cold the lakes were super cold seven degrees i tried twice and it was like i i don't know it was possible for me or not because of course you couldn't swim in the pools because all the pools were shut the pools were shut until april 12th and when uh, um, pools were open i went in the pool but it was heated pool and that good that i could practice instead of trying the dry swimming in the house with the resistance band but it was good for me that i could swim in the swimming pool but i needed to be able to swim in the cold water <laughs> and that anxiety lasted till the race day how did you deal with it because obviously you've had experience of dealing with nerves from 12 years as being an elite mountain biker so then how did you deal with the nerves about mm-hmm. the swim uh I was always scared that what will happen. I I knew that swimming will be my biggest hindrance. Once I pass my swimming leg, I will be fine. I knew. And then when we reached the race venue and checked the water temperature, it was not cold. <laughs> and suddenly the UK temperature is so weird. If I was living here for too long, I wouldn't have this anxiety. In like ten days difference time, the temperature rose from. 12 degrees to suddenly 18 degrees <laughs> welcome to the uk yeah and then i was sure that i will be able to do it my main focus was to complete it because i don't want to have any cramp or any accidents i just wanted to complete it complete it and uh, it took me 15 hours but i'm still glad <laughs> and what was it like running down that finish line like when i was in my running leg it was getting too difficult it was de- getting too difficult i was going through lots of things like um, i was feeling nausea and that nausea was making me feel like the i was seeing uh, the meandering road when the road was straight and i was like am i going to keep my focus if i say something to the um, the volunteers or then they might pull me out so i just kept going kept going without saying anything i was finding it difficult to run but thinking my children are waiting for me there they're waiting for me in the finishing line i have to go quickly and so that they don't have to wait for too long and just i did it somehow <laughs> and when you crossed that line did you think never again no i didn't think like that um i didn't think like that but it was a relief relief i thought of um, thought of my country i thought wow i became the have i become the first female or not like i have to ask my triathlon president i hope i have become even if not this is a big achievement for me it was a total fantasy for me until few years when i was having second child i was so overweight i even had this cellulite on my body i was surprised so those time before that i have i used to train with the triathletes who used to do full distance triathlon when i was living in uae and when i was with them i used to think is is it even possible like this was my fantasy total fantasy i dared to drink i want to do it i dared to swim in the open water uh, open water swimming i dared to do it and then now i've completed it uh, i felt relief <laughs> yeah the whole process was um, very uh, hard for the house as well because only thing i could think and talk and research and um, was a triathlon you basically turned it you turned into a uh, you 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 were a boring triathlete yeah for, for the family yeah <laughs> and would would you like to do another another one i would like to do i i do want to do it makes me feel alive but i also want to relax for some time for now because i am i have done whatever i needed to do and i will not be always strongest i will not be always young so i have done whatever is possible now i will do fun things but um slowly and what would you love for young girls growing up in nepal given what you have done what would you like for them that um, they if they keep following their passion wherever 
they want to reach, they can reach. That uh, they can they can reach there if they keep following it. They know it all. <laughs> they are very strong, and then they train hard and they are doing it. There are many ultra runners in Nepal as well. Uh, yes. They are participating in international level and winning as well. So they are there. And have have the stereotypes? Do you think they've now gone? Much is gone. Yes. When I was at my time, when I was national champion, all the men used to like, "You can't do this. When are you quitting?" All these type of unnecessary questions. Now they don't. <laughs> now they don't. I I think it is gone. And the mountain biking craze is actually hyping up in Nepal. Everybody are uh, buying the most. Uh, advanced cycle there are thousands and thousands of people and there is no age limit now uh, all the like um, middle aged people are riding they are all the time going in the mountainous area uh, very remote area to ride and to have the experience of nepal and they are riding they are not anymore inside the valley like they used to be before they are everywhere riding now and how how does that make you feel that actually you were one of those people who would have helped pave the way for all of that to happen i feel good i feel good there are so many new generations they might not know me but my generation people know me and uh, i know that they have respect for me that how what sort of situation i was and without any incentive you know in my race there used to be no incentive no incentive means there i used to win the race but no prizes for me and no nothing prizes for me i still continued so in such way i continued for decades so now there are prizes and also there there are like almost equal prizes too for men and women so it is very good for now for current generation that's amazing but you you will always be the mountain queen right the mountain queen of nepal yeah i would like to be remembered like that <laughs> i think you probably know by now i bloody love sharing stories like nirjala's every now and again i i don't know about you but it's like pure escapism from the news going on at the moment and just taking your brain to a completely different place so if you think that someone else might enjoy it then please as always do share it it makes a massive massive difference and if you've enjoyed it you like what I do you want to support the show then you can sign up to be a patron of the podcast over at patreon.com forward slash inside try show and thank you to all of the lovely lovely people who joined me earlier this week on Monday evening for the patrons only sort of mulled wine, mince pie, festive gathering, whatever you want to call it. I am so, so fortunate to have some fantastic support from you. So thank you. Just a reminder then, no podcast next week, but we will be back in the groove from January the 5th. Thank you again for all of your support this year. This is two years now. We've been going just over two years. So that's pretty special. And yeah, it, it just, it wouldn't be possible if you didn't listen, you didn't share it, you didn't enjoy it, things like that. Clearly, I wouldn't be doing it. So massive, massive thank you. And I do have, my brain's constantly going with ideas and, and guests and things like that. And I do have some very cool people lined up over the next few weeks and things like that. So into the new year, I definitely will carry on entertaining you and inspiring you while you are training. If there's anything in particular that you want to hear or you want me to cover, get in touch. Helen at InsideTryShow.com. And if you're doing any festive challenges and maybe you want to shout out about your achievements or you want to big up someone else, then you can email helen at insidetryshow.com. Thanks for listening to the Inside Try Show. If you want to get in touch or get a little bit more information on anything, then reach out to Helen on Instagram or Twitter at Inside Try Show.
Thank you again to Ali and Greg and the team at resilientnutrition.com for sponsoring the podcast. You can get 10% off with the code InsideTry10 over at resilientnutrition.com. You will also get a discount at 33fuel.com. They do amazing yummy energy bars and protein bars. Just use the code InsideTry33 and then comfuel.co.uk. They will also give you some money off with the code inside try so have a lovely christmas take lots and lots of care thank you for listening and we'll speak again in the new year Social Podcast Network. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash aware.